0: Hello everyone and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide.
1: I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength and heart. Having this personal connection
0: with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful and inspired. We hope by giving
1: you an inside look, you will be too. We can't know the lives our pets had before they met us. So we have to imagine what has made them who they are. Tell us your pet story with the hashtag MyUnspokenPet.
0: Today, we're speaking to Emily Peters from Live Love Animal Rescue, a 501c3 registered nonprofit that rescues homeless animals by providing them with the necessary medical care, allowing for physical and emotional rehabilitation, finding them their perfect forever home, and showering them with love throughout their journey. So let's get started. Hiya, Emily. How are you? I'm
2: great, Bridget. How are you?
0: Good, good. I mean, we're so excited to have you on, especially since, I mean, you are our local rescue.
2: Really close. We are. Definitely.
0: And I know we've worked together on a bunch of things in the past and it it all of a sudden hit me. I'm like, why haven't we talked to live love animal rescue? You
2: guys are just going from the outside in, I think, you know, like you have such a huge network. It makes sense. We're, you know, last but not least right now. So that's that works for us.
0: Absolutely. But I mean, so I we know like generally the wonderful work you do, but I'm wondering if we can just maybe roll back time a little bit and how you got started in animal welfare yourself.
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. So I've been working with animals really my whole life, but definitely my whole professional career, right out of high school, I started working at veterinary hospitals, worked my way up from like cleaning kennels to assisting in surgery and performing vet tech uh, duties. And then I got really involved in rescue that way, especially wildlife rescue. This was all the way years ago in Tennessee. So we did, I did a lot of wildlife rehab and rescue. And of course, working at veterinary hospitals especially in the South, you get those random, like, you know, I just found puppies in a bag that were tossed into a river, or I don't want my dog anymore. You know, I brought it here to be euthanized and it's a perfectly healthy dog. So situations like that really prompted me to start doing a lot of independent rescue, maybe a dozen dogs a year, things like that. And then when I moved to California 10 years ago, I had the intention of working as a vet tech, but since I was not a registered vet tech, which is something that's required in California, I started doing pet care, dog walking, pet sitting. And really it was the live love pet care business that kind of spawned the rescue efforts that you see now. And now the rescue is bigger than the pet care business. And that's really what takes up all of my time. But I got, you know, kind of made a name for myself in Long Beach by catching dogs on the street that other people couldn't catch, the animal control couldn't catch, and really working with those like really fractured medical and behavior dogs that were really challenging to to bring into safety. That's kind of how I got my, my name here in Long Beach. And then the community really just continued to support us and donate and support me. And I thought, well, I guess I should really start a nonprofit and do, you know, like, let's do this officially. So that's the backstory in a nutshell.
0: Wow. So you're catching the dogs they can't
2: catch? (laughs) Well, I had help. I had help. So there's, But yeah, you know, I definitely, because I'd had so much experience working with wildlife, working in a vet industry also, you know, I just had a way with earning their trust, getting them to come to safety. Wasn't always like perfect or pretty. It wasn't like, you know, I just kneeled down and they ran into my arms, but we got it done. I think the most notable of those rescues was Abe, who I rescued from kind of like a swampy midland area in between the freeways. And Abe, the freeway stray, this is before Cuddly. He had a GoFundMe and he had some media attention. And he uh, ended up being my dog until he passed away last year from old age. But he was a very interesting Malinois with medical and behavior issues. And so he, he really kind of put us on the map as far as having that notoriety as doing these kind of incredible rescues here locally.
0: I think it's still shocking to me. And I th- I'm sure like everyone in our area too, that there are so many strays because it's like, we're in an urban area and you're like, well, where would a stray even go? No, there's for sure going to be someone who picks them up. But I mean, that's that's such an area where I think no, none of us are going in the riverbeds. Yeah. Um, and there are these little nooks and crannies where I'm sure there are, are lots of stray dogs, and I mean, that's very interesting for sure. Well, I mean, there's been a lot going on with COVID. I mean, <laughs> I feel like every day feels like a new opportunity. We'll, we'll say
2: it's very positive. It's a very. It's a very. I agree that we got to have that positive approach. Like, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, so how has it been going for you? Because I know seems like every organization has had their ups and downs and struggles. So, I mean, how how have adoptions been, first of all?
2: Adoptions have been pretty good. They've been really strong. I mean, you guys helped us create a campaign back in March because we really answered the call, the need in our community in a big way when COVID hit and uh, Long Beach Animal Care Services was closing. They didn't, they're still closed to the public, but they, you know, we didn't know how this virus and the pandemic was going to unfold and i'm thankful that we were able to spring into action and we took 110 dogs out of the kennels and into foster care within like a 8 week period 8 to 10 week period the first 88 of those were in the first like 3 or 4 weeks you know we ran that program and those dogs are most of them have been adopted already we still have a couple that are you know like longer stay because of behavior issues, and you know, they just have their quirks, they're special. <laughs> it's been, you know, it's had its challenges. There's definitely been a lot of opportunities to rescue. It's been great to see the outpouring from folks that are, you know, sheltering in place, staying at home, and they wanted to foster. Like, we could not have taken that many dogs in if we hadn't had so many awesome humans step up to foster and adopt. So, that's been really nice, and I think you know, even donations, like we're so grateful to Cuddly because you guys help us get a different platform for, of donors, you know, because our base of donors are, they're getting kind of exhausted this year. I think, you know, and we're like, Hey, there are so many needs. There are so many critical medical cases or emergent type situations. That's where Cuddly, I think really, really complements our ability to save lives and enhances our ability to save lives by giving us an extra reach of donors. So yeah, all in all, it's been an interesting year full of opportunities, like you said, Bridget, but I think that we're, you know, we're, we're doing well, we're doing okay. And a lot of dogs have been saved because people are at home. Um, I think we're, we're really also hoping that they will stay in their homes. I know the economy and everything is very scary for, you know, most of us right now. We're just kind of bracing ourselves for evictions. And just yesterday, actually, I had literally eight calls for owner surrenders. I do think that we are kind of going to be getting the next wave of a lot of intakes. I was actually talking to our vice president the other day, who's been with me since the beginning. I was like, ah, 2017, the year that we had like 18 dogs on average in rescue, you know? And now our average is like 75 dogs at a time in rescue. So it's, we've really grown tremendously. And this year has taken it to a whole new level, you know, because of the need that has come out of the COVID pandemic.
0: I know for myself, I was always so busy and I was running around doing all sorts of things and being forced to be locked in my home has opened the opportunity up for me to like foster. And it's one of those things where you now are so aware of like, I could be saving a life right now. Like, what am I doing? (laughs) Like, and and like, it wasn't that hard and it was actually kind of nice and it actually relieved my stress and and it was pretty great. So, I mean, in the very least, even if you do have those surrenders, which I know is, is bound to happen, um, at least maybe you have the fosters that now are like activated and they're like, all right, let's like, we're ready. We're here for you. I can take on more dogs because my one got
2: adopted. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And we always like to give our fosters a break. Like we really encourage, even if they're like, I'm ready to go right away. We're always like, take a week or two off, you know, enjoy sleeping in and not having to go through this whole crate training and potty training and all this stuff over again. But yeah, we definitely have a lot of new fosters and volunteers who are, like you said, very activated and motivated. And they're like, I can't believe I wasn't doing this all along. It's super easy and really fun. So it's just been, it's been magical in that, in that way.
0: Yeah, and I mean on on the fundraising side of it too. I know we've heard from a bunch of rescues who are like we I mean, especially as who knows what's going to happen with the economy where they're like we've seen a dip like and even with, more so with like I know every rescue has a different like plan of attack for for fundraising and a lot of them are very much face-to-face in person knitting bees like kind of situations So I know having that like online platform maybe makes it a little bit more stable during this time. Do you have any part of your fundraising plan that has kind of been derailed because of everything here?
2: Well, definitely, you know, some of our large in-person events, like usually every May we have like an alumni adopter event with dogs and drinks and food and people. And it's like a big gathering on the beach and it's so much fun. So wasn't happening this year. And then In October, our biggest event of the year is Boats and Barks, you know, same thing, like boat rides, dogs, drinks, cocktails, and fun stuff, and like a big presentation about the impact that we've had this year. That's not going to happen. That does present a challenge that we're constantly striving to problem solve our way through. I will say that our, and I'm very grateful for this, our fundraising has continued to grow. Like it's pretty on par with the impact growth that we've seen with our programs and our, our life-saving impact, it's really, but you can never stop fundraising. It's like, you know, what do they say to salesmen? Like never stop selling. Like we just cannot ever stop fundraising. There is no wiggle room for that, especially with new medical cases coming in constantly. And as you guys know, in rescue, like with Florence, the dog, the Malinois that you guys are featuring right now, thank you so much for doing that. You know, we took her in thinking, okay, this is an acute trauma case. And some steroids, some x-rays, some crate rest. You know, we're like, okay, we can get this. And then no, she's like this big neurological mystery and has now had $8,000 worth of diagnostic tests. And we still don't know what's going on, but she's stable and she's doing okay. So yes, having the online platform that Cuddly provides, and I say this to everyone, not just because I'm on a Cuddly podcast. It is crucial for us right now in this climate and this day and age, because we really are going to need to crowdsource those $5 donations more than ever right now. You know, large donors are going to be more difficult to come by because, yeah, we can't have those face-to-face connections and those mix and mingling events. It's, you know, taking it back to our roots. This is how we started is with those $5 and $20 donations. I really love that because, I you know, we have that slogan, you are a rescuer too. And I feel like no matter what you do to participate in the rescue journey of this dog, you're also a rescuer right alongside us.
1: I did want to touch base on this because I think a lot of people don't, they either they don't expect it or maybe they just don't know when you see an animal that perhaps has a fundraiser going on for six, seven, eight thousand $8,000, people tend to sort of question where those medical costs come from. Could you a little touch base on that? Because I know with a lot of behavioral issues, a lot of neurological issues, all of the diagnostics are so expensive. So it really racks up bill time. Could you kind of touch base on maybe like the average of what you see as far as behavioral diagnostics or treating animals like
2: that? You know, the first step with my experience in this industry, I can generally come up with an estimate of like, this is what I think it's going to cost. But then of course, our first step is like go to our veterinary team where, and at that point we get an actual estimate of this is the cost for services to figure out what's going on or to perform the surgery or Obviously if we have a dog with behavior needs, we know this is what a board and train is going to cost. So they're all based on factual numbers. It's not usually it's not just like a, a number that we've yeah it's not just a number that we've pulled out of our hat and think this would be really nice to have right now. Yeah, and I know it's it's shell shocking for some people to see and we get questions a lot of times that it's like, well how do you decide to spend ten thousand dollars on one dog when that could rescue? 10 dogs. I think that my answer to that is we started as a rescue that really we really pride ourselves on taking in the more challenging cases and do we take on like easier rescues? yes you have to to balance it out but we typically are the rescue that shelters will go to when other rescues have said no to a dog. And that's because those dogs are, as I love them, they call them project dogs. You know, they have that bigger price tag. They're not going to be quick adoptions. They're going to need someone to really manage their medical and behavior rescue journey for months on end before they can ever find that happy ever after. And oh joy, get you know we get a three hundred dollars adoption fee. So that's another common misconception too. Is I think people feel like, well, doesn't your adoption fee just cover? all of the medical expenses, it's like, no, (laughs) it really doesn't. So yeah, you know, to answer your question, it's, these are, they're calculated mostly from our veterinary partners about what an estimate is for the cost of care. And a lot of times, even with the cuddly campaigns, we'll actually post the vet estimate of like, this is the official document telling us how much we should anticipate to spend. And then, you know, sometimes we round that up a little bit because unexpected things always happen. Like we just had a Husky a couple months ago that needed both of his knees replaced. And because he's a Husky and even despite the foster's best efforts and trazodone to sedate him, he busted one of the pins in his knees and had to have that surgery done all over again. So like we fundraised, he's fine now. He's on the mend. That, that's Ben. He's officially on the mend, but you know, a surgery that we thought was going to cost like 5,800 ended up costing closer to 8,000. Yeah, they're dogs, you know, they're like wild little babies. We can't predict everything that is to come. Having, you know, kind of a ballpark fundraising estimate is the way to go. And, you know, whether we hit it or not, it's good to kind of aim big of like, this is the most we think it's going to cost.
1: Oh, that's like my worst fear. I just, one of my dogs, she just tore her ACL. So she had TPLO surgery. When we had it done, they she's on like a regimen of, you know, you have the slinger, you can't let her walk or put weight on it for a number of weeks. And he warned us so many times. He was like, just be careful because if anything does happen, you know, I, dogs get excited. Things, you know, obviously can go wrong. One time and you have to redo that surgery. And he was like, I definitely don't want to do that, but I'm not going to lie to you. It is a possibility. I have done it before. Uh, and that's where the cost can rack up. And I was, I'm like staring at her right now. And I'm like, please don't move.
2: You stay right there. <laughs> I always tell the dogs, I'm like, participate in your rescue journey, please. Like we need your participation too, dog. You know, please follow the doctor's orders. Listen to your fosters. I've given
1: her so many pep talks. I'm, And she just stares at me like, I hate you, take me out of this crate. But
2: I'm like, you need to do this. Absolutely. So, and it's great too. Like with the Cuddly Campaigns, you always add in like the bully sticks, and you know, that's why like the wish lists are so cool. Because especially if a dog's like recovering from an orthopedic surgery and needs crate rest, like we want them to have chew bones and things to keep them occupied in there and squeaky toys. Yeah, I love that Cuddly has the wish list and the donate feature because I think that really just endears people even more to like follow their rescue journey too.
0: I know that's what I was about to say too. I'm like, I think all of us right now can empathize with a dog who is like, we're all going crazy just being trapped in our homes. But imagine being trapped in a crate right now and just being like, you're not allowed to move on your own. It's like, we would all be throwing the biggest fits.
2: That was actually, that was part of our plea to get people to foster dogs when the COVID pandemic started was we, I really felt like I understood what it was like to be a shelter dog. like. I'm not allowed to leave my house. I have no idea what the future is going to bring. Will my life ever be the same? I can't see the people that I love. So that was part of our, you know, just putting that in perspective for humans. Like this is an even an amazing time to really connect with a dog that shelter dogs experience this all the time and I don't feel bad for dogs that have to be in their crate after surgery. Cause <laughs> I'm like, you're rescued. You're safe. Someone, someone just spent eight grand on your knee. Like it's, it's six weeks. You'll be fine.
0: <laughs> well, and it was such a good point about the, products too, because I feel like we hear from people who are like, this dog is sick. This dog had just had surgery. Why did they need toys? Why do they need treats? And it's like, oh my gosh, they've never needed a toy more in their life. Like they need that smart toy so that they are distracted so that they are engaged because otherwise they're just sitting there in their crate, like pawing at the sides or chewing on something they're not supposed to be. And they're just going to end up hurting themselves more or
2: Yeah, it's that mental stimulation that that they really need. It's like being stuck in your room with your phone or the TV or being stuck in your room with nothing. Like they need that mental stimulation for sure.
0: I'm sure Sydney's dog has like a pile of treats and toys around her
1: right now. Oh, yes. The Kong is where we live. We we live with the Kong. It never leaves her sight. (laughs) It's always within paw distance. That's uh, my lifesaver right there.
2: You can just constantly have them like a rotation of Kongs, like put them in the freezer, take it out. Yeah, it's good stuff.
1: And I love it because you can... Oh, this is like so off topic, but you can stuff it with so many different things. And I just like, oh, if you like look up how many like little fun little stuffers there are, there's like holiday... It's like, you got to make it a little fun.
0: Well, so I mean, since you've been doing this work for, for quite a minute here, is there... I mean, you've already mentioned one of the dogs you've you've rescued, but is there one story that really like knocks you over and that you kind of carry with you as you're rescuing dogs and kind of having it at the back of your head?
2: Oh my gosh, there's so many. There's so many. You know, I can talk about a couple from this year that also had cuddly campaigns. And real quick, this is also off topic, but Sydney, are you Sam's sister? I am. <laughs> Oh my God. I, I love Sam. Cause she's, she does so much to help us all the time. I, you know, cause I'm always just very busy. Like it's a lot for me to even like relay the information to our social media team and get it posted. Right. But Sam like sees the post and she texts me. She's like, can I set up a cuddly for this dog? I'm like, bless you, Sam, please. Thank thank you so much. She's awesome. She loves you guys so much. And I, I think it's, it was
1: so great. Cause we, we grew up in like LaSalle, Long Beach area. And we didn't, I mean, we didn't know a lot about any like nonprofit organizations. There was the shelter on like Spring and Studebaker over there that we would visit or like the Long Beach shelter. Um, But right when she found you guys and she was like, oh my God, this is a rescue in our backyard, Sydney. She was like, this is insane. I love them. She's like, we're gonna go visit them. Like she was just like high on life having found a rescue nearby in her own community.
2: I've not even met her in person yet. I don't think unless maybe I met her at the best friends conference, like forever ago when you guys were still pound wishes, but we need to all actually like get together one of these days. But yeah, I can talk about a couple stories from this year that I know really hit Sam hard and, you know, hit, hit all of us hard. Um, so there was, I don't remember which one came first, but they were pretty much, there was three pretty much back to back. So there was grace, She was a dog from Long Beach Animal Care Services that was sexually abused by a person and had um, like punctured lungs and just a bunch of weird, I won't go into it, but a bunch of like very weird things that we actually really urged them to investigate and figure out who had done this to her. But she made a full recovery and she had a really awesome cuddly campaign that helped a lot because that was another instance of like, we have no idea the internal injuries that this dog has sustained and what she's really going to need to see her through all of this. And then we had Queenie, who was also, yeah, also a victim of abuse. She had chemical burns over 80% of her body and required A couple surgeries to remove skin. And uh, we didn't have to go as far as skin grafts, but there was a lot of intense wound care and laser treatments. And she's also made a full recovery. Both Grace and Queenie were adopted by um, veterinary technicians at Primary Care Animal Hospital, who is like big props to Primary Care Animal Hospital. They are our vet partner and we couldn't rescue without them. And then also Malala. Who is now named Penelope, and she was found in an alley in the rain. Remember when we were having like all that crazy rainstorms at the beginning of this year, and it was like it didn't dry up for a week, which you know I really enjoyed. But then I saw Malala like in the alley, like someone had tried to put a box over her. It was just the most pitiful thing, and she had really, really brutal wounds on her all along her back. We don't know if an animal tried to get at her or if someone did that to her. We're not really sure, but like maggot-filled, like bad, bad, bad wounds. And she's also made a total full recovery. She was adopted by the mom of one of the primary care vet techs. And they are actually, they just applied to adopt another dog so that she'll have a friend. So yeah, those are three like really major rescue stories this year, like medical cases that cuddly campaigns like directly impacted and really closed the gap and made all the difference in the world for us to be able to provide them the medical care that they needed. Because those, those were weeks, months of, you know, medical care for those girls.
0: That's such a ringing endorsement too, for someone to adopt one dog and then be like, all right, let us network. We need to adopt another one from you. So
2: we have a lot of repeat adopters and we love that because, you know, they're already approved. And I the primary care team, they know they know that I love to keep them in the family, you know, and I, I consider everyone that works at primary care, like my family. So it's always nice when you have a dog that has like that severe medical history and you have a veterinary technician that wants to adopt them. Like sign me up, I'm all for that.
1: So sweet. Cause they they I mean they actually help in like the medical care and they watch the progress and they
2: Yeah, and they fostered these girls too. So it was really, really nice to see them just stay put we love foster failures. It's like the best kind of failure. So fosters always have the first right to adopt through us. Yeah.
0: I know you kind of touched on this like very lightly. Um, And I don't know if this is a touchy subject, but I know we just hear so many pleas. And of course, I'm sure you do too, when you get these abuse and neglect cases about pursuing legal action against these people. And that's something we, we don't prioritize as a company because our goal is the present and the future and these animals healing but I'm wondering if you can and I know this is going to be very specific probably to California and maybe even our county but can you go into what that would entail and and why you do or don't do pursue any sort of legal action?
2: It's really not the nonprofit's role just like it's not Cuddly's role it really and all three of those dogs came through Long Beach Animal Care Services like if this was a dog that i found on the streets that would be different then the nonprofit would take more of a role but generally these really severe cases and thankfully so they come through our local shelter and they are the ones that really do have the jurisdiction to pursue that and you know investigate it like they do have an investigations department sadly what i've learned during my time you know working as a rescue with Long Beach Animal Care Services and i've also been on like the mayoral task force to revision the shelter and the strategic planning committee. So I helped devise the strategic plan for the shelter. I've learned that resources are a big problem and a big hindrance to the shelter, you know, municipal shelters pursuing animal abuse. Oftentimes they don't have the funds or the man and woman power to pursue those things. And they also don't have a very, like they work well and closely with, The Long Beach Police Department, but the Long Beach Police Department also does not have a unit that investigates these things. And it's just not a super huge priority in our society at this time, which is very, very unfortunate. And and I agree with you guys. Like, our focus is the present and the future healing and education in the community and providing resources to people so that severe neglect and abuse doesn't get to that point. We actually have a puppy that I will be texting Sam about shortly. Um, a little puppy, Ruthie. We haven't even posted her yet. You're learning about it here first. She's like three to four weeks old. And she, someone threw a speaker at her head and she has a brain. She has a broke a broken skull. So uh, like a contusion there. That's a situation where like, I just feel like, you know, it all goes hand in hand, like, the economy, the mental health care that's available to citizens in our town and in our country. And like really it all goes hand in hand and and animals, just like children, when the mental health of adults and addiction and things like that are spiking, which we are going, we are seeing this year, domestic violence, stuff like that is spiking. Then animals are just as susceptible to that as children are. And I just think we as a society need to come up with a better structure and express to our elected officials that that is a priority for us, you know, because I feel really strongly if someone can harm an animal in that way, they could harm a child or a person and it kind of it g- goes hand in hand. So that's a very long answer to that question. But um, I also have been really discouraged and we also get comments and questions about like, why is no one pursuing this more? I hope to grow Live Love someday to the point where we have a whole staff for <laughs> investigation and pursuing animal abuse and education in the community, I would love nothing more. But yeah, for right now, we're a very small, pretty much volunteer run. I'm the only staff member. So our focus has to be the dog's care.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it was such a great answer. First of all, I'm, I'm glad you, you, went, you went into all that because I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think maybe people don't realize too how limited all sorts of resources are it's not just monetary resources that are limited if you're spending your time pursuing this legal action that's time you're not spending on the animals that you have or not spending time saving animals you have and it's like you sort of have to triage what what is most important never one thing
2: yep and i you know i just really encourage people to advocate with their elected officials with their city council with their, the municipal shelters and the places that their tax dollars go, the, the police department, that this is a priority as our society is evolving and we need to make it a priority.
0: That's amazing that you said you were you were part of the strategic planning for our local shelter. I wasn't even aware that, well, first of all, I mean, not to slam our shelter, but that there was strategic planning going on. <laughs> I'm really not trying to say anything negative about them because I know they they do the best they ha- they can, but especially that they're bringing in like rescues and outside sources to be like, okay, let's let's all pool together and um try and figure out our best way forward.
2: Yeah, it was a really great experience, and that was it was actually in one of those strategic planning meetings back in March that we learned, you know, that oh my gosh, everyone is going on lockdown and you know, so it was very timely that we were doing that strategic plan. And, and, you know, my position all along had been that the shelter really needs to run as a foster based shelter. And they don't have a foster program right now. You know, Live Love, our organization, has facilitated and implemented temporary foster programs for them, like Foster the Fourth. And then, you know, again, this, the shelter in place, stay at home and foster program that we did during COVID. It was very, uh, it was just kind of interesting. The universe was like, "Yes, Emily, you are right. The shelter should run as a foster." <laughs> you know, it was like I was just like you, really advocating for this is the best way to get dogs healed. You know, recovered medically, behaviorally trained and adopted. It's just the best way to do that versus them deteriorating in a kennel. When we were in that strategic planning meeting and we get the news that you know the shelter's closing, everyone needs to go home and stay in their home. That's really when we were able to mobilize and get more dogs into fosters. And now the shelter has maintained a lower capacity and they are working to implement that part of the strategic plan to um, hire a foster coordinator and have an ongoing foster program. Not there quite yet, but yeah, I'm really proud of the work that we did together and what they're continuing to do. They're definitely a great group of dedicated volunteers and staff members that are becoming more and more progressive every year. So it's awesome
1: can you visit every shelter, every shelter and just not, I mean, there, there are some that are, are doing really, really great, but.
2: Yeah. And I think it's a good, it's just a good model too. I think that has definitely been, you know, like Austin Pets Alive, there are shelters that have kind of created this model. And that was something I kept bringing up in those strategic planning. I'm like, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Like we just need to copy these models. And we've seen that it works in our community during the temporary programs that Live Love has run. So now we just need to expand upon that. It's really as simple
0: as that. Absolutely. I mean, that's incredible that it's like, that this like, I mean, really such a bummer time has has pushed about this like systemic change that it's like, they're not going to go back to the way things were um, anymore. And I'm sure if you would have asked them in January, they would say something like, well, we don't have time to implement this new kind of system. And then it just turned into, you don't have time not to
2: that's something I'm just so incredibly proud of my team is that, you know, we're, a we do not have the human manpower, woman power that even like our municipal shelter does, but the fact that we were able to mobilize in that way and, and train fosters and, you know, just do all of this so rapidly and impact so many dogs. I just really want to give a huge shout out to the entire Live Love team the board members, the volunteers, the fosters, the adopters, the donors, like really did it all together. And it was just a huge testament to how strong the Live Love family is when there's when there's dogs in need, we're there. So it was really great.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure you. that's a, such a great example too, that people can take all the way across the country. I mean, I believe it's our, I am don't want to say the wrong thing, but I'm pretty sure our board member, Carol Novello um, said the same thing because she was she led the Humane Society of Silicon Valley. And that was her whole, one of the many things that she advocated for was this like foster-based system and how, every, how shelters needed to transition over to that. Because I mean, we've all seen what a big difference it can make um, between like a cold cell and a home.
2: <laughs> and it's actually more cost-effective for like, that's another thing I've done a lot of research on and gone to city council and spoken about and things like that. It is more cost-effective for our tax dollars to run the program that way, rather than having the, it's just better all the way around, you know, then we have more funds available for like training the dogs. There's a lot of dogs, especially at the Long Beach shelter, they have, you know, behavior concerns that really need to be addressed before they can go into a forever home. And, you know, I, I always see it as like, we have such a dichotomy in Long Beach that we have, so many amazing diehard pet parents that like their pets are their kids and they would never give them up. And they're just like so monumentally amazing. And then we have people who are really struggling with, you know, financially, mentally, emotionally, addiction, you know, things like that. And their animals are in that struggle with them. And understandably, so eventually those animals might end up at the shelter. And then we really do have a lot of like Emotional, energetic, and physical healing that those animals need. So the ones that do land in the shelter and aren't reclaimed, actually, I think, have a greater need than than other shelters that we've worked with and seen across Southern California. I really strongly believe that Long Beach has a unique population of dogs that end up at that shelter.
0: No, I mean that's so true. It's such a diverse community, um, and it goes—it literally runs the gamut. Um, I I think it's really When I first moved here, I I know that's the first thing everyone told me is like, you need to go with someone who knows the area because one street is one way and then you cross the street and you're in a totally different world.
2: I love this city. Like I just think it's, I love that it's the melting pot and that we're so diverse, but I definitely see um, a need to do better in accessing folks where there might be a cultural difference in the way animals are treated or a barrier to providing proper veterinary care and things like that financially. So that's something that was also part of the strategic plan with Long Beach Animal Care Services, where animal control officers would be like, you know, like an outreach team, you know, like they don't see an animal control officer and think that person's going to take my dog. They see them and think, oh, that person probably has food and flea meds. And, you know, they can give me support for my dogs rather than just having that negative connotation with, with animal control officers. A lot of animal control officers at, at Long Beach are actually very good friends of mine and you know contact us and say like Florence for example the current you know sponsored cuddly campaign officer law contacted me and said Emily can you come down and see her now we don't I don't know what the shelter's going to do or what she's going to need but help. So I'm um, all for the community seeing animal control officers for who they are which is like super compassionate dedicated people.
0: Every law enforcement officer I've actually met in Long Beach, like they all have so much to do. So they are, they're such wonderful people in my opinion. (laughs) I've had such great interactions with them because I mean, they are really just trying to do the very best that they can. um, And they've really taken on a big challenge. So do you have personal pets in your home right now or or are you fully foster
2: (laughs) central? I have, uh, okay, I'll tell you who's closest to me right now. How about that? And I'll just work my way through. So I have um, Meatloaf here and Meatloaf is one of our forever fosters. He's a big American bulldog. He's about 10 years old and he is one of our forever fosters. So we have dogs that are never going to be available for adoption due to behavior or, and or medical. Sometimes they have both. So Meatloaf is hanging in the crate right here with me with his fan blowing right on him. And then Magnus is my big 105 pound shepherd. Meatloaf's about hundred pounds too. Magnus is like eight years old. He also is a forever foster, mostly for medical issues. He has on and off paralysis, like a degenerative spine disease, and he's awesome. I actually watched him at Long Beach Animal Care Services for six months, just kept watching and watching, thinking, someone's going to adopt that dog. He's gorgeous someone has to come get him. You know, I networked him. I was like, I'm not rescuing him. He's going to get adopted. I just know he will. And he never did. So sure enough, I I have him. And actually during the COVID foster program, there was a dog named Zeus at Long Beach Animal Care Services, who I am hundred percent convinced is his brother. And he he got into foster care and got adopted. So that was like beautiful. Cause I was like, Ooh, I could have two, I could have two at <laughs> I love my big, my big shepherds.
0: I can't believe you have a bulldog right next to you. I can't believe we haven't heard like snoring or heavy
2: breathing. Yeah, he's being very quiet right now, but usually he does snore. He's an American bulldog. So he doesn't snore quite as bad as an English, but usually he does snore. But yeah, these guys are both like totally passed out. And then I have Tommy, who is like a long-haired chihuahua with epilepsy. He's our, our actual foster dog now while we kind of figure out medically what he's going to need so that we can promote him for adoption. He's just a baby. He's only a year old. And then I have Gimbal and Gidget who are rat terrier mixes, um, both here for behavior issues. They're forever fosters. Gotta love them. And they're, they're getting up there too. They're both seniors as well. And then I have my cat, Mr. Bojangles, who is live, love, you know, when we started, we were rescuing cats and dogs, but now there are so many great cat rescues in Long Beach. So many that, you know, about five years ago, we decided to just focus really primarily on dogs, but Mr. Bojangles just kept coming onto my porch and asking for food and didn't want to be touched. And it took me literally a whole year to be able to grab him and take him to the vet. And he had to have all his teeth taken out and he had to be neutered and He's an old man. And now I was like, okay, I'm gonna get him fixed up and then he can go back outside if he wants. Uh Uh-uh. Wants nothing to do with it, sleeps in bed, like just wants food. His tongue hangs out because he has no teeth. So yeah, he's he's an old man too. So yeah, they're other than Tommy, they're really all seniors at this point.
0: Girl, let's be honest, you just pretend like they're all forever
2: fosters. You're like, you're like, I want this one and this one. Like well, yeah, for Magnus, I was like, I remember. I remember sitting on the floor with him like crying. So he had done all these tests, didn't know what was wrong with him, why he wasn't using his legs. And I was like, Magnus, if you just pull through this and you could stay with me forever, I promise you. Because literally he went to one adoption event, came back, was broken, wouldn't use his back legs. And I was like, just get well and you will live out your life here. So I think he, he conned me, I think actually. Gimbal and Gidget, my rat terriers, they were legitimately like up for adoption for a good year and a half. And had like a bunch of failed, you know, Gimbal was adopted and returned even at the shelter three times. They're special. They, yeah, they're special dogs.
1: I love that Bojangles as soon as you like put him inside
2: and, and fixed him up. He was like, Mm-mm, not going back outside. I would like sit out. I would like carry him out and like sit out there. And I was like, go be free. Like you can, no, I don't want it anymore. He just like, he has his window perch and he just like looks out on the neighborhood now. And it was so funny too, because when I first brought him in, there were actually female cats that started coming to my house, crying outside, looking for him. Like he had lady friends, you know, like seriously. He's like, I can't, I'm not in business anymore, ladies. Like want to know how many kittens he made over his years. I'm so glad that, yeah, I'm so glad that he can't do that anymore. Well,
0: so we've got some kind of fun questions. So. If one of your personal pets are forever fosters um, was president, what would be the first thing they did?
2: Well, Meatloaf would end BSL for sure. End it everywhere forever because he has definitely been discriminated against. Uh, you know, he's an American bulldog, like pit bull, mastiff bee looking dog. So I think he would end BSL. That'd be one of the first things that he would do. I don't know. I feel like Magnus would be very passionate about differently abled people and pets. I think that, you know, cause he has like his like swagger walk and, you know, certain things that he can't, like he kind of goes in between, like he can't move like a, a perfectly abled dog. So I feel like that would be really important for him.
0: Well, and I have to ask this just because of the range of the pet names that we just heard, but what are your three favorite animal names?
2: Well, for the longest time I had G names. So I had Gizmo, Gimbal, and Gidget, and they were all rat terriers. And Gizmo was like my first child. He passed away last year. Last year I lost two of my pack and it was really hard. The Gizmo is definitely one. And then Abe, Abraham Lincoln, my big shepherd that I also lost last year, um, that I rescued from the freeway. I love the name Abe. Like we've we've never named another dog Abe, but we've definitely had like offshoots of it. Like we've had a few Lincolns and Those are, I'm going to have to say Gizmo and Abe. Those have been my favorite names. One of our board members just recently named two new puppies that we took in, Primrose and Katniss. Those are beautiful names. And then earlier this year, we had a litter, the the witch litter, as I call them. Uh, We had a husky mom that we pulled from the shelter. She was pregnant and she was like a puppy herself. So I named her Sabrina, the teenage husky. And then all of her puppies had like magic names like Gandalf and, you know, Merlin and Binks And, you know, like that's one thing that we definitely, I wouldn't say struggle with, but we got to get very inventive with. We don't duplicate names every three or to four years in rescue for our records. Like we, we cannot have another Bella or like Buddy, like for the history of our rescue. Like we need very unique names. So we've gotten good at coming up with those.
0: I feel like we've seen such a big range of names like on our site. And it's actually funny because we see such a big range, but there are so many animal rescue names that are the same. Like we have a ton of second chances. We have a... (laughs) And it's like, oh my gosh, you guys are so creative. Like you should have (laughs) thought of something new. I mean, your your live love is I think the only animal rescue that or the only live love that we know of. So you guys have that creativity going on too.
2: There is one in Ohio. I want to say Live Love Rescue. I don't think they're active anymore. I don't think they're doing anything anymore. But we have the name trademarked, and you know, there's a reason that we're animal rescue is because eventually we really do want to branch out and do more Um, like horses. I grew up with horses. We would love to have more of like a gentle barn type model eventually, and have land for that. Ellie Lakes is one of my all time heroes, and I love the gentle barn so. Yeah, we do hope to expand beyond just dogs in the future. So stay tuned for that cuddly campaign.
0: We're all about it. I know we've we've seen a few campaigns come in lately of like ducks.
1: And I say recently of like the sloths and like the toucans. So we're seeing a lot of more like exotic. Sloths? Mm-hmm. I need to, I want to donate to that one. <laughs> I
0: need to find that. There was a video too. And I'm like, it like made me, it got me where, got me good.
2: I give up. People are rescuing slots. I'm never going to be able to have a cuddly campaign again. I can never beat that.
0: (laughs) Okay. And then, so if you had to pick one life motto, what would it be?
2: Well, I mean, I think live love. Like I have it tattooed on me. Literally. That's very, you know, that really is like just how I live my life and why I named the rescue that and the pet care business. I also am a big fan of Emily Dickinson. I like to think that that's my namesake. So, you know, if your nerve denies you go above your nerve, that's a great quote from her. And then Brene Brown is also one of my favorites and courage over comfort is kind of our board of directors motto, you know, like taking that, it would be really comfortable to stick with having 18 dogs at a time and rescue. (laughs) It'd be really comfortable to just like kind of stay small, but we have big dreams and we have the courage to get there, to accomplish them.
0: Definitely. I anyway, know I had that on my fridge for the longest time. I was like, okay, be be yeah. brave. <laughs> no, I mean, we are so happy we got to talk to you. Cause I mean, I feel like I've learned so much. And I mean, you're right next door to us. It's like all these things I could have just been knowing this whole time. <laughs> Emily, thank you so much.
2: Absolutely. My pleasure. And, you know, definitely when we can all visit again, I would love to come to the headquarters and I'm not even seeing like the cuddly office and all that stuff. And we are so close. So we'll definitely plan that. And it was lovely speaking to you both. Thank you for having me.
0: Definitely. We are going to have a blowout when we, when we can have a blowout, we will absolutely have a blowout.
2: (laughs) Sounds good. We'll be there.
1: it was so amazing talking to emily today with the live love animal rescue organization Uh, we discussed so many things including foster programs for shelters and how mental health impacts the treatment and lives of so many animals out there Uh, we also touched based on a couple things including the importance of contacting your local officials to implement change as far as animal welfare goes it was also amazing if you do want to learn more about this organization or get more involved go ahead and check our blog or our show notes
0: and don't forget to follow us on social media at we Love Cuddly. that's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks so much.